Let us begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers and church history. We are coming out of that time where we had spent, what, three weeks reflecting into the Protestant Reformation, which more or less uh, ended last week with a discussion on the Council of Trent. And so, what we've decided to do here on this radio program is get back into uh, the great Christian thinkers, the great saints, we can properly say, of the 16th century, and how they impacted just not Europe, uh, but the world. And so this will have us treating four Jesuits, reflecting with four Jesuits, St. Ignatius of Loyola, uh, St. Francis Xavier, St. Peter Canisius, and St. Robert Bellarmine. So today, this evening, we are going to reflect into one Anigo Lopez de Loyola, who we know as St. Ignatius of Loyola, and I will be doing this with John O'Hare. John, great to have you with me another evening. Thank you for having me back, Joe. So, John, here we are again. You know, I say 16th century, but it's really late 15th century that uh, one Ignatius, or again, Anigo <laughs> Lopez is... Um, given to us, is born. And just by way of historical context, okay, we talked about the Reformation, but what else is going on? In late 15th century Europe, you have uh, the Age of Exploration, where the European sailors are heading west to the Americas and south to Africa. We have um, scholars uncovering uh, the ruined civilizations of Greece and Rome. And of course, you have John, the printing press, which is also giving rise to this new thirst for knowledge. So we are moving out of this age of chivalry in the Middle Ages, we can say, into this new humanism, this period of Renaissance. Now, certainly, this is also dotted and marked with uh, upheaval, uh, war, and all the rest. But in the middle of all of it stands a man who transformed Europe, and consequently transformed the world with his yes to Jesus Christ. We can talk about all of these great and magnificent things. These are men who said yes to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and what we have seen is how that one yes, multiplied by so many other yeses after that one yes, has transformed the world. So this evening, we are here to talk about one Anigo Lopez's yes. Joe, I like the way you said Anigo. We know him as Ignatius. Unfortunately, yes. people at that time could not pronounce Anigo. If we can, I don't know why they couldn't, but anyway, they could. Two of my favorite saints are called Ignatius. Ignatius of Antioch mm. died A.D. 107, whom we talked about a couple of weeks ago at least. Yeah, <laughs> and, not, and, not, uh, a year ago. not a year and a half ago. And then uh, Ignatius of Loyola, and he was a seminal figure. And uh, let me just go to the end of what I'd like to say at the beginning. The charism of the Jesuit order, which he would found quite late in his life, is contemplation and action. And as you take a look at his life, you'll see those early on. Mm -hmm. Now, he was born in 1491 and died in 1556 at the age of 65. So he lived a fairly long time for those ages. 
Penny was born to substantial wealth. Both his father and his mother were well-to-do. They had three daughters and eight sons. He was the youngest. And he took up, um, chival- he took up chivalry and war. That was his vocation. And uh, at the age of 30, he was involved in a war. He was born in the Basque country. He is Basque. Mm-hmm. Now, Basque is northern Spain, near the border of France in the Pyrenees Mountains. That mm-hmm. was his, that's his homeland. And he was involved in a war in Pamplona in, in northern Spain. And on May 20th, 1521, a cannonball hit his right shin, breaking it, and shattered, not didn't shatter, but it caused the left leg to bleed substantially. Mm-hmm. This is a serious wound. He's mm-hmm. lucky you survived. So uh, the French captured him, and since he was valuable, they kept him, and they set the leg, and then they realized he didn't do a very good job, and they had to break the leg again and reset it a second time. Hmm. He didn't whimper. I guess he bit down on his leather belt or whatever. But you know, this is the kind of guy he was. You know, I mean, yeah, to go through yeah. an operation without an anesthetic was anyway. Yeah, he did yeah, twice. Yeah. So he is now injured, and he returns to his well-to-do castle, and he has to recover for some time, and he has to entertain himself. And the only books that were available were books on the life of Jesus and books on the lives of saints, and he begins to read these, and these influences and he begins to change his life, and he realizes how important this really is. Ideas can change our lives. Mm. Okay, so anyway, Mm. after this, he he leaves his house, and he begins to wander around, and he goes to, uh, he makes a retreat at a kind of a monster, Our Lady of Mount Surat, and then he hangs out with Dominicans, and he he's fasting, and he goes, he's a beggar now. He's living a life of begging, and he's wearing very inexpensive, well, he's just wearing, not rags, but I'm mean, going to call them inexpensive clothes, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the way he's living, and he's praying. And he wants to dedicate his life to Christ, but what is he going to do? Well, he decides he's going to go and convert Muslims. Why not? Mm-hmm. So he's living by begging. He's a well-to-do man, but he's living by begging, essentially, because that's the life he wants to dedicate himself to, live like Christ. He goes to Rome, goes to Venice, goes to the island of Cyprus, goes to Jaffa, that's in Israel, and then goes to Jerusalem. Okay, a man of action. Mm -hmm. And he begins to convert Muslims, but they're not easy to convert. And pretty soon there is, uh, uh, he's hassled, and the Franciscans, who are quite active in the area, say, you better leave, you're going to get killed. Get out of here, go back. So he does. He goes back to Spain, he goes to Barcelona, and he begins to study Latin grammar. Again, very holy, prays a lot, tries to talk and convert people, uh, learns his Latin grammar, and he is wearing kind of garb that he could be confused of as a priest. And the mm-hmm. Spanish Inquisition says, you're not a priest, and yet you're going around preaching, and he spends about a week or so in jail mm-hmm. because uh, the Inquisition was a bit thick at this time in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they let him go. He goes to Salamanca, learns more. Take, this time he takes physics divinity and philosophy for a year or two, but again, because he's wearing something that looks like a priest, they hassle him, and he decides he's going to leave uh, Spain forever, and he's attracting some people. He goes to Paris, and he goes to Paris at age 37. In about four years, he gets a Master's of Arts degree. That's the equivalent of a PhD, Mm -hmm. so he is well-educated, and while he's in Paris, he meets people that would become the first Jesuits. Among them is a man named Peter Favre, uh, he has the same an ancestor, probably a Brett Favre of the Green Bay Packers. At least they spell their last name the same. And uh, and then he meets Saint, Saint Ignatius, um, or rather he meets um, 
uh, Francis Xavier yes. and and other people, and mm -hmm. they are they kind of form a club, and they are not only studying but they're preaching as well. Mm -hmm. And then after they have their masters, they decide that they are going to they, they would like to go back to Israel and convert Muslims. And this is a anyway they walk to Rome, and they call themselves the Company of Jesus, and that name kind of kept with them. However, they're not speaking English, uh, and when people say, who are you? It kind of became society de Jesus or something. Mm -hmm. yes, and yes. so that, there comes the society of Jesus. Yeah. And the word Jesuit was given to them by their enemies. It was supposed to be put down, but it stuck. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. But anyway, they go to Rome. And right around uh, 1539, they meet uh, Pope Paul III. Now, he is famous for the Council of Trent from last week. And, he, and they give him a plan in which they are going to try to... Uh, he likes their plan. They're going to be prayerful, and they're going to go out and do action. So they're not in order, but they start to go out and do this. At this point, Favre is ordained a priest, mm -hmm. and he is, he's the first one to become a priest. He goes and he works um, working in poverty and charity, and uh, Frank, uh, Ignatius is working on his spiritual exercises, which by this time is getting to be fairly developed. It's mm -hmm. not on the book yet, but he's working on it. And Francis Xavier works with the poor. And then uh, they would like to form an order. Now, in order, you have to take a vow of poverty, which they've already done, chastity, which they've already done, and obedience, but obedience to whom? Yeah. So they figure, okay, we're going to have to have a superior general, and this guy is going to be in charge of our order, but mm -hmm. we are going to be the Pope's rapid deployment force. That's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we, whatever the Pope wants us to do, wherever he wants us to go, with however dangerous, we go, mm -hmm. and we do what he says, that's the deal. Mm -hmm. So they go to Pope Paul III, and he likes this idea. And on September the 27th, 1540, they were formed as an order. And on Easter Sunday, 1541, Ignatius is made superior general of the order, and he never leaves Rome. Mm -hmm. He stays there. Mm -hmm. And he begins to uh, get people, and he kind of deploys them where they go. He finishes his spiritual exercises, and it is published, and it is still in published. In 1548, it was uh, it was completed. And of course, that's a, a, that's a Christian classic. Oh, it's a Christian yeah. classic. And let me just get to the end of the story. He never left Rome, but he would get sick from time to time, and uh, quite sick, but he'd recover. And then he got sick one July, and he died. I mean, mm -hmm. it was rather unexpected because yeah. they thought that he would recover. But he died July the 31st, I believe it was 1556. He's buried in the Jesu. And if you ever go to Rome, this stuff is very well... Uh, looked at their, his, where he's buried, where his office, where he worked. You can all visit this stuff, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, the Jesuits have done a great job of, of taking care of this. Yeah. Now, just one last little thing before we get on. When he died, there were 1,000 Jesuit priests deployed mm -hmm. in nine European countries, plus Brazil and India. This order took off. Extraordinary. In 1917, there were 17,000 Jesuits worldwide. Mm -hmm. In 1964, there were 35,000 Jesuits worldwide. In 1965, a year later, there were 36,000 Jesuits. Now, I think that was the high point, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. with virtually all religious orders, yeah. they have declined since. I mean, think about 35,000 followers yeah. of Jesus Christ, of course, but of the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And I want to rewind a little bit to some of the things you were talking about, John. First and foremost his injury, this cannonball striking his leg. Now, why talk about that? Well, you know, a lot of things happen to us today. <laughs> and when I was praying 
over this life and just discerning what we need to talk about, the first thing that struck me, John, was to focus in on what happened to him and how he responded. You said it. He was reading about the life of Jesus Christ and the lives of the saints. He was inspired by those great ideas, those ideas rooted in truth. Alongside of that, he did not see that this cannonball striking his leg was God punishing him per se. No, but he saw it in light of God's bigger plan, God's providence. And my point is this, there are a lot of things that happen in our lives that we don't understand. And sometimes those are injuries. Those are more than just stubbing the toe. And one thing that you see in the saint is how they respond to that. And how St. Ignatius responded to this, then Inigo Lopez responded to this injury, was with heroic virtue. Did he not struggle with it? Well, of course he did. But he came to understand how God was going to use this injury for the greater glory of God. Oh, by the way, that phrase, for the glory of God, really is caught up in the Ignatian spirituality. Yes, it is St. Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyon, France, who said, for the glory of God is man fully alive, and there's never been a truer statement said. It is really something that was imbued in just not the life of Ignatius of Loyola, but consequently that the spirituality of the Jesuits. Yeah. Ad maiorem dei glory yes, is the yeah. Latin part, AMDJ. Yes. So if you go to a Jesuit high school, the top of your paper, you must put down <laughs> AMDJ. And I never knew what that meant. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Ad maiorem dei gloriam. And in that, you really do have crystallized the essence of what this man was about, because he saw all things in light of the glory of God, and that includes an injury, which ultimately would lead to the Jesuit order. If he's not injured, who knows what happens? Because if he's not injured, he's not laying back in a hospital bed, well, what would have been a hospital bed 500 years ago, reading about Jesus Christ and lives of saints. You see, it's a fascinating thing how God uses all things at his disposal. And certainly, he used this injury. And it's interesting to note that his personality as a soldier and his personality as a saint, mm. as a priest, there's a certain similarity. You can see the soldier in the priest. You know, yeah. interesting. I mean, I find that to be interesting. And he just took that entire personality and put it all to Christ. And if I could say another little thing, the Jesuits unlike the Dominicans and the Carmelites and the Franciscans, do not have a habit that is distinctive. Mm. They wear a black suit, typical of the priesthood. Mm -hmm. They also do not say their divine office in a group. If you're a, a Benedictine, you say it in the morning with everybody else. But the Jesuits, they're active and they're contemplative. Therefore, mm. you say it when you can. You're busy. You're out amongst the people doing your job, and you, you have to say that divine office daily, but you pick the time that fits into your busy schedule. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It is interesting. And, you know, John, as you were speaking there a few minutes ago about who he was as a soldier and who he was as a saint, you know, who we are as created in the image and likeness of God is seen for what it is. And we become something more in light of Christ. We never stop being who we are, but we become something more. And that's so important because for Ignatius, he saw that. He was still a soldier. But that something more was now he was a soldier for Christ. I think what he realized was what really motivates people. Is it money? Not really. Is it political glory? Not really. It's an idea. Mm. That's what really inspires you. Now, let me bore you with a story of my own life. I saw this movie 
and it was about a, a, an altar boy. Anyway, he's, he's an altar boy at a mass, and this Jesuit is saying the mass, and he turns around to bless the people, and you can see his hands are deformed, his face is deformed. Mm. He was over trying to convert North American Indians, mm. and he came across, and this guy's going right back to do it again as soon as he recovers whatever it is he has to recover from. And as I'm a kid watching this, I'm thinking, wow, that's, I want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. that, that to me was, um, it encapsulated to me a little bit about the Jesuit order. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and as you spoke to it, John, the Jesuits were about being an army for the Pope, for the Church. Correct, yes. Right. St. Ignatius of Loyola was a man of the Church, and he understood well that to be a man of the Church was to be a man who was going to serve uh, the Pope, because in being a servant to the Pope, they're going to be a servant of the mission of Christ, the mission of the Church, the mission of spreading the kingdom of God, just not in Europe, but as you talked about and we touched upon in opening, the whole world. You know, it's staggering to think about, and yet it's, it's true, that from one yes, you have 35,000, 36,000 followers. Correct. You know, it's, it's overwhelming to think about that. And where does it come from? Well, it comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola's humility. It comes from his yes. It comes from his willingness to be at the service of the Church, his willingness to understand that whatever the Pope sees as essential. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in and through him, and we will be at his disposal. Uh, So important to appreciate that dynamic, because when you start talking about religious communities, John, and religious orders, each religious community has its charism. Each order has its charism, and the Jesuit charism is to be at the service of the Pope. Now, we have (laughs) something unique in 2015, (laughs) because the Pope is a Jesuit, right? The Pope is a Jesuit, but he understands that um, while he is a Jesuit in his heart, he is also Pope. Ultimately, right now, when you look at the Pope being a Jesuit, um, the Holy Spirit is wanting something, and the, and at the very least, and at the very least, our hope and prayer is that the Jesuit community and the Jesuit order um, renews its conviction to be at the service oh, of the Church. I the hope so too. I hope sometime we can get into the history of the Jesuit order because it is quite a history. We all know that they, a lot of Catholic colleges are Jesuit, mm. and oh, yeah. um, that we can say something about them, but maybe we better do that in a later show. Okay? Yeah, because well, what do you, I mean, you have the first Jesuit Catholic university, I think it's the end of the 18th century, so we're still a couple centuries away, but I do think we'll be able to talk about that, John, because mm. a lot of the Catholic universities in the United States of America were founded by uh, the Jesuits, and there's a lot to be said there. So anyhow, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he's spreading the gospel message. Uh, something to remember, John, he was, when you read about him, the phrase that, that kept on coming up was, he was a man of God. Yes, He was a man of God. And, you know, you hear that, and we talk about it, and maybe our listeners are saying, oh, what's the big deal? Every week you're talking about a man of God or a woman of God, you know, there's something to be said about when someone is trying to describe someone that all they have is, he was a man of God. God first. God first. Why? Because so often today, we find ourselves struggling to define what it means to be a saint. And sometimes we can just simplify it to say, 
do we have God first in our life in everything that we do? Everybody it, has someone first in their life. Mm. Now, take a celebrity, Miss Kardashian. I do not know anything about her. But what's first in her life? There's got to be something. She's in the news every other week. Mm -hmm. I have no idea, but so, something's going on. And if you have God in your life, what more could you ask? Of course you're going to be orienting yourself to that, and it all takes a different path for every one of our saints. Mm -hmm. You're right, John, and to bring up uh, one of the Kardashians is actually a, a wonderful uh, example, because that does illustrate for us the fact that, yeah, we all are going to have someone first in our life, or something first in our life, right, <laughs> for worse. But to understand that we are to have God first in our life, is to understand then what it means to be a saint, what holiness is about. And in the end, I use the word understand, it brings to light, it brings to a deeper understanding of who we are. St. Ignatius of Loyola cannot do what he did if his vocation was not illuminated by his personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was able to accomplish the great things he was able to accomplish because he was in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can never overstate that point, because in the end, that is what it's about. And I, I certainly pray for the Jesuits a lot, mm -hmm. and they're a very interesting order, very interesting, hugely well-educated. And if I may have a little parting comment, it takes Please. a long time to become a Jesuit. My dad was educated by the Jesuits at St. Ignatius High School in San Francisco, and I, well, they're not getting ordained until they're about 35, 36. How come? Well, I think one of the reasons is, since they don't live as an order in a community, they want you to make sure this is what you want. Mm -hmm. Therefore, ordination. You, know, you can be a, a brother and a member, but you're not ordained until mm -hmm. you're in about your mid-30s. And I think that was the case with our current pope. Yeah, it was. And uh, what St. Ignatius saw and what many other religious communities see is the importance of being transformed in Christ so as to then go out and serve. In uh, religious communities today, specifically, you have at least seven years of formation. Now, for our non-Catholic listening audience, typically it takes a priest after their bachelor's degree roughly five years to be ordained. With religious communities, it's at least seven years. With some communities, it's nine and or ten years, and the Jesuits is an example of that. And why? Well, you just spoke to it. Um, we just spoke to it. It's the importance of understanding who you are and being transformed in Christ so that you might be better disposed to go out and serve Jesus Christ and preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You cannot be at the service of the Christian and Catholic faith and be distracted by the world. To say God first means you are not busy with all of those side glances. No, you have that singular focus on the person of Jesus Christ. They were able to go up into the mountainous regions of Central America because they were not preoccupied, John, with the stuff of the world. All they cared about was preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it goes all the way back to Ignatius of Loyola, St. Francis Xavier, and the man we are going to be talking about in the upcoming weeks. Today, Today, I think we, we enter into our apostolates, we enter into our ministry, but we treat it as a nine-to-five gig. What St. Ignatius of Loyola would want us to see, and essentially Jesus Christ himself would want us to see, is that it's a 24-7, 365. What did he say? What was the passage in Matthew, Matthew 5, 48? Be perfect like my Father oh, yeah. in heaven oh. is perfect. Yeah. 
What does that do. mean? <laughs> yeah, be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. Well, John, you and I both know we are never going to attain perfection this side of the heavenly Jerusalem. He's talking about constant conversion. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 talks about praying without ceasing. You never stop praying. You never stop being transformed. You never stop converting, right? Because there's always more to the inexhaustible love of God. Oh, yes. All saints got that. But certainly the man we talk about this evening highlights that. I think one last quick comment. Yeah, I've yeah. already made it in one of our previous shows. One of the great atheists of the 18th century, Voltaire, was educated in a Jesuit college in mm. high school. Mm. And his comments afterwards, he praised them to the hilt. They, each one of those teachers, gave their life to us students. Mm. And uh, uh, granted, the education didn't hold in Voltaire's case, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he, really, he really appreciated that order and the education that they gave him. So, John, I wanted to close and wrap up our discussion with a couple of prayers that come to us from the writings of St. Ignatius. Um, one focuses in on uh, generosity, and the other, uh, his more famous prayer about giving our entire will to God. So let us close um, with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve as you deserve to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for reward, save that of knowing that I do your will. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours to do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth. Heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.